Good morning. I invite you to take a Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, first book of the New Testament, 10th chapter. So today we are wrapping up our series entitled Not a Fan, and the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today uh, might surprise you. You might, when we read it, find it a bit unsettling, a bit confusing, because it doesn't really seem to fit with some of the ideas we might have about Jesus and, and what he came to accomplish, what he came to do. And that's really one of the reasons why I think it's important that we look at it. So we think about being followers of Jesus, not just fans of Jesus. I think it's really important that we, we listen to Jesus and let him tell us what it means to be a follower. Let him define for us what following him looks like and not just go with, you know, maybe the preconceived ideas that we have. So, Matthew chapter 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 32. Let me just tell you what's happening here. Jesus is instructing his messengers, those initial 12 guys that he chose. He's sending them out and telling them to go and proclaim his message that he has come, that the kingdom of heaven has come near because he's come near, and he's inviting people to acknowledge that and recognize that and respond to his coming. So let's pick it up in verse 32. So these guys are just about to go out and start declaring his message, and Jesus tells them this. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a pretty strong word, aren't they? And that last part, I think, if you've been with us through our journey here through the series, not a fan, those last words should sound kind of familiar. Apparently, Jesus said these kind of words again and again as he talked to different people in different places. You know, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever seeks his own life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. He said this over and over as he, as he uh, talked to people and invited them to become his followers. But the way he says it here, well, it makes us think about it in a way that, that 
maybe we haven't thought about it. And you might, you might read it, you might listen to it, and you might think to yourself, uh, th- this doesn't sound like good news. I thought the message of Jesus was good news. Uh, I thought Jesus came to bring peace and joy and uh, healing and reconciliation and peace where, where uh, you know, there's conflict. Oh, what's all this about a sword? What's, what's this about enemies in my own household? Some of you may be thinking, hey, you know, that's the kind of home I grew up in. I didn't really want that. Or maybe that's kind of what I have in my home now. I was really hoping Jesus would make things better, not worse. So what's this all about? Because other places in the Bible tell us he did come to bring peace. Jesus said it himself. He said, my peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Um, Scripture tells us to, to live at peace with others, to pursue peace. It tells us he, he did come to bring joy. He did come to bring life. He does bring about healing and reconciliation where there is brokenness, where there is hatred. So what's, what, what is this? See, the thing is, none of those things is automatic. The peace and the joy and the life that he gives, those things come to those who trust him. And the point he's making here is that when you follow him, you will at times experience conflict with those who don't follow him. And that conflict can be very sharp, as sharp as a sword. I don't think that's a picture of war it's a picture of sharp division in other words jesus is saying that he is someone families will be divided over and what is so remarkable about this is that the as god's word repeatedly tells us that families should not be divided you know, the Bible commands over and over again. It tells uh, children to honor their parents, both Old and New Testaments. Tell us this. Parents are told to love their children, carefully train them up in the ways of the Lord. Fathers are specifically instructed, do not exasperate your children. Um, older women are instructed to teach younger women how to love their husbands and their children. The only thing that could possibly justify the kind of division Jesus is talking about is if obeying God leaves you with no other choice. For example, young people, you're living at home, your dad tells you to take out the trash, guess what? you got to take out the trash. Don't be doing this, well, you know... Um, Jesus said he came to set a a man against his father, so I'm not taking out the trash. No, take out the trash. Okay? But, if your dad tells you to go rob a bank, you can't do it. 
Why? Because God has said in his word, you shall not steal. So when God and man disagree, you have to go with God, even if the man is your own father or your son or somebody else in your family. So follow this, okay? This is amazing. You know, Jesus says amazing things. Sometimes I think we just kind of get a little used to hearing these things, and it's like, stop and think about how amazing this is. The only way Jesus can be a legitimate divider of family is if he is more important than the family. The only way Jesus can be a legitimate divider of family is if he is more important than family, and that is exactly what he's claiming. That's exactly his point. Jesus is saying he came to be the most important person in our lives, in our families. He came to be the main issue. He came to be the key decision. He came to be the critical choice that affects every other part of our lives, including our families, everything. The call to follow Jesus is the call to recognize him as supreme, as preeminent, as number one in every area of your life. Look at Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. My goodness, we could just talk about that. What a statement. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see all the all things here? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, now look at this, in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus came to be preeminent, to be supreme, to be number one in all things. And if that's true, that means he came to be supreme in our lives, all of our lives, including our families. What does that look like? What does it look like? How how do I know if Jesus is supreme in every area of my life? See, that's another important question for us to consider in this whole not-a-fan journey. You know, is Jesus supreme? Is he preeminent in my life? Well, I can answer that for you in one sense, and the answer is no. He isn't. Because if Jesus were truly supreme in every area of your life, you would be sinless, and you're not. Just saying. That's why we talk about following Jesus being a journey. It's a journey, a daily journey. You know, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow him. It's not an event. Now, beginning the journey is an event. Beginning a relationship with him, when we put our trust in him as Savior and Lord, 
that begins the relationship, that begins the journey. But living that out, living out that relationship, walking that journey, that is a process. And the question is, is that the journey you're on? Is that the path you're on? Is, is that the destination you're heading toward? You know, sometimes I've heard it said, and I think it's a good saying, the issue isn't so much your location, it's your destination. Where are you headed? It's not so much where you're at right this moment, but where are you going? What path are you on? Is that the direction you're headed? Daily learning to yield more and more of, to, of your life to His supremacy, to His preeminence. Well, what does that look like? I just want to pull out of Matthew 10 here some signs that Jesus is supreme, that He's becoming more and more supreme in your life. When He is supreme, this is what it looks like. And one sign that Jesus is supreme in your life is when He has your highest loyalty. Your highest loyalty belongs to Him, not to anybody else no matter what the relationship is. Your highest loyalty goes to Jesus. Now, I think most people would agree that sons ought to be loyal to their fathers. Daughters ought to be loyal to their mothers. And that's part of honoring your your father and your mother. The Bible tells us that. So while you're in their home, you need to follow their rules. Right? All the parents are like, yeah. Kids are like, okay. You follow the rules. And then when you're out of their home, when you finally graduate out of their home, you still need to appreciate them. You still need to try to respect them, try to help them when they need you. But Jesus says he came to turn a man against his father and a a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So is Jesus saying that, you know, he likes causing problems? He likes, he wants families to just be in turmoil and conflict. He's into that. Does he want families to be divided? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, though, this. When he is supreme in your life, he gets your highest loyalty, even if that puts you at odds with other members of your family. In other words, because Jesus is the most important person, because he is the most important issue, Conflict over him is inevitable. A person who receives him as Lord, a person who honors him as supreme in every area of life, is going to have conflicts with those who don't receive him as Lord, who don't honor him, who don't really care what he says or what he thinks about anything. It just creates conflict. And if one of those people happens to be your dad or your mom or any other relationship where there is a natural bond of loyalty, Jesus gets the highest loyalty. And see, this can be a really big deal for people, for many people, because we all have this built-in desire to please our parents. And you can run into people who are 40, 50 years old, and they're still trying to 
to obtain their parents' approval because they never felt like they've ever gotten it. They want dad's approval. They want mom's approval. And in some cultures particularly, maybe not so much, you know, in average America, but the Jewish culture that Jesus was part of in some Asian cultures, what mom or dad says, that's it. That goes. Even when you're all grown up, that's still the way it is. And see, Jesus knew this. He knew in sending out his messengers, he knew that was an issue that people were going to run into. Because with Jesus, you got to choose. And he knew there were going to be moms and dads who heard about him and said, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. Don't you follow him. Don't you do what he says. Don't you get all carried away with this Jesus thing. And see, in those situations, your loyalty is tested. Or maybe you're a parent. And maybe one of your children grows up, and and now that they're all grown up, they want your blessing on some decision they're making that just is directly contrary to the ways of Christ. And your loyalty is tested. Who gets your highest loyalty? Who gets your highest loyalty? Mom, dad, son, daughter, brother, sister, or Jesus? Now, let me hasten to say, Jesus is not telling us to go pick a fight with our families. You know? He's not telling us to seek out opportunities to refuse our parents. You know? (laughs) To go around saying, I dare you. I just dare you to ask me to do something Jesus doesn't want me to do. So I can tell you no. No. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He calls us to live peaceably. He doesn't call us to live with arrogance. He doesn't call us to live with a chip on our shoulder. He doesn't call us to live with this, you know, combative spirit. In fact, he calls us, he says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek and the humble and the gentle. Love is kind. Love is patient. It's not looking for a fight. What is our goal in relating to family members who don't yet accept Christ? Well, our goal is that we could influence them so they will. And we don't do that by being jerks. 1 Peter 3.1, talking about wives with non-Christian husbands or Christians who, uh, husbands who aren't obedient to the Lord. It says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. That's the spirit in which he calls us to live. But if your husband or if your wife or if your father or if your mother or sister or brother or whoever says, hey, knock off the Jesus stuff, okay? Just knock that off. Don't be all going to worship and don't be praying and don't be mentioning the name of Jesus. And don't give... And don't serve, don't get so committed. Well, when the choice is between disappointing your family or disobeying Jesus, Jesus gets your highest loyalty because he came to have the supremacy in all things.
all things. Here's here's another sign Jesus is supreme in your life. When he has your deepest affection, affection, not just your loyalty, not just, you know, decision-making, but your affection. Verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. All right, let's just say it. Is Jesus on an ego trip here? Is this egotistical of Jesus to demand that we love him more than we love anybody else? Well, it would be if he were just another man. You know, if you ever hear me say this, get somebody to help me, okay? Because this is crazy. But he's our Lord. He's our creator. Did you catch that back in Colossians? Through him all things were created. He's our creator. He is actually the one and only person in the entire universe for whom self-centeredness is a virtue. It's not a virtue for us, but it is for him. Because he knows it is always in our best interests to love him more than we love anybody else. It is always in our family's best interest. It's in everybody's best interest that we love Jesus more than anybody. See, the fact is, the best parents are the parents who love Jesus more than they love their kids. The best kids are the kids who love Jesus more than they love their parents. The best husbands and wives are those who love their spouse or love Jesus more than they love their spouse. See, when we say, well, why? Why is that true? Because when we love Jesus the most, it makes us a more loving person, not a less loving person. When we give Jesus our deepest affection, then his love overflows in us, and we're able to love people more. When we love him the most, all other loves fall into their proper place. You kind of think of it like the solar system, you know, the sun's at the center, and now everything else orbits perfectly. Well, if somehow you knock the sun out of the center, there's going to be a problem. Jesus is the sun of our solar system. When we end up loving other people more than we love Jesus, it messes everything up. It really does. Let me give you an example. Say a young lady has a boyfriend, and this boyfriend wants her to be sexually intimate with him. Well, if she loves her boyfriend more than she loves Jesus, then she'll probably go along with that. And she'll probably tell herself that she's doing it because she loves him, because he loves her, and because, you know, that's just the loving thing to do. But it isn't. And it isn't for a variety of reasons. The research shows that people are sexually intimate without the covenant bond, the lifelong commitment of marriage, that that premarital intimacy creates problems later. It can create unwanted children, which leads to all other problems. But here's the biggest problem with it. If she does that, that will put that young man on the wrong side of God's will. And that is definitely not in his best interest. And it's not like God's 
word isn't clear on this. It's absolutely clear. The sexual relationship that God created is beautiful, and it's meant to be protected by the lifelong bond of marriage. Outside of that, God says no. So if she claims to be a follower of Jesus, but she goes along with that, what is she telling that young man about Jesus? Well, you know, he's not that wise. He's not always right. Sometimes we just know better. And so, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not following him on this. What does that teach him? That's not in his best interest, so it's not loving. Husbands, the dumbest thing you could ever do is demand that your wife love you more than she loved Jesus. That'd be so dumb. For one thing, Jesus might be the only reason why she keeps putting up with you. You might think it would be nice if she'd worship you, but you're not qualified. You're not qualified unless you die on a cross and rise from the dead. Then you'd be qualified. I guarantee you, if she loves you more than she loves Jesus, or you love her more than you love Jesus, if if anybody worships anybody but Jesus, it will mess up everything. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And that won't take a smidgen of love away from that other person. It'll give you more love for that person. Then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus must have our deepest affection. One more. Jesus is supreme in your life when he has your strongest commitment. Your strongest commitment. Highest loyalty, deepest affection, strongest commitment. Verse 38, 39. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What do you suppose people are naturally the most committed to? How about their own life? I'll tell you a story. I've told this before, but I think it's worth repeating because it really illustrates the point here. Years ago, I was with a a group of college students. We were canoeing down the Colorado River. And we came to the spot in the river where it gets really deep. And there's these cliffs, these like 30, 40 foot cliffs. And the thing to do is to jump off the cliff into the water. (laughs) Great. Well, being a young college age male, I naturally had to do that. Because I couldn't risk the humiliation of not doing it. So I climb up, you know, the trail to the edge of this 30, 40-foot cliff, and I, and I look down. And at that moment, I realized a couple of things. The first thing I realized is that 30 feet is a lot further when you're looking down than when you're looking up. It's a depth perception thing or something. I don't know. It's like... The other thing I realized is... It's really hard to convince your body to do something that your body is convinced is going to kill it. (laughs) I I had seen other people jump and live. I knew in my head the water is deep enough. If I just go jump and go straight in, I'll be fine. I, I knew that up here. But every other part of my body and all of those parts necessary for jumping said, uh uh. No, stupid, back away from the edge. 
So the only way I could do this was to back up, grab hands with two of my buddies, and run at the cliff and just jump off. Because as we all know, it's a lot easier to do stupid things in groups. (laughs) Now, obviously, I lived. But I learned through that experience how strong is our instinct for self-preservation. It is so strong. Our natural, our strongest natural commitment is to protect ourselves. And Jesus says, our commitment to him must be even stronger. He says we have to take up our cross and follow him. You know, the only people who carried crosses were condemned criminals on their way to be executed. So Jesus is saying, be willing to die for me. Be more committed to me than you are to your own life. And here's the paradox. That's the only way to really have life. If your greatest commitment is to protecting your life, you will lose it. You will miss out on the life God intends for you. You will miss out on a relationship with Him. And ultimately, that's going to matter the most. You're going to miss out on your purpose, your real reason for existence. You will miss out on the deep soul satisfaction that he created you to experience. But if your greatest commitment is to Jesus, then you will find real life and real purpose and real satisfaction. You will have it And nothing can ever take it away, not even death. So the only way to truly preserve your life is to give up trying to preserve your life. And instead, give yourself completely to Jesus to go wherever He wants you to go, to do whatever He wants you to do. There's a sense in which following Jesus is like jumping off a cliff. When we look at some of the things Jesus tells us to do, some of them look pretty scary. They really do. You know, love your enemies. Ah, that's scary. Forgive those who hurt you. That is scary. Share my message with other people who don't know me, who might even be hostile toward me. For some of us, that's scary. Give. Give generously. Confess your sins to one another. And on and on it goes. And we can just stand at the edge and we can look down and we just say, I I can't do it. I can't jump. If I do that, I'm going to get hurt. And I might even die. And if we stay there, we're dead. But if we say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus knows. He loved me enough to die for me, to give me life. And if I trust Him, He says He'll never leave me. Wherever He tells me to go, He'll be there. You know, He says, follow me. He doesn't say, get out in front and I'll follow you. We follow Him. Wherever we go, He's there if we're following Him. He'll be right there with me. And when my time on earth is over, He says He'll take me to be with Him forever. He is supreme over life 
and death and everything else. And he says, jump, so here I go. And the water of life washes over me. And it buoys me up and it refreshes me. When you give Jesus supremacy in your life, your highest loyalty, your deepest affection, your strongest commitment, you can't possibly lose. Do not, do not make the choice to be a fan standing on the cliff. Jesus says, jump. Follow him. And you'll find life. Will you bow with me? I don't know how high the cliff is that you're standing on. I don't know when you look over that cliff called following Jesus, how scary it looks to you. but he invites you to jump and find life and not remain on the cliff and experience death. So my invitation to you this morning is just to go before him with all of your fears, with all of your reservations, with all of your questions, and just say, Jesus, help me to jump. I want to jump. And grab hands with some others. Because we need to do this journey together. To follow him. Wherever he leads. Can I give you just a minute to uh, do business with Jesus? Whatever, whatever you need to say. Whatever you want to say. Whatever prayer you need to pray ask him to help you it's a journey but it begins with that decision to jump and trust him lord jesus you are greater You are more loving, you are more wise, you are more merciful and compassionate, you are more holy, you are more just than we're prone to think you are. So Lord, will you just help us today appreciate more and more how truly great you are how gracious your invitation is to follow you. Give us the courage, give us the humility to stop trying to find our own way and to follow you. Help us be known as people who really are followers and not just fans. Make it real for us, Lord. Make it real. Keep us following. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.